Yo, what's going on, everyone? It's Brian and Jim here with Drinking Beer and Play Game. Welcome to another Power Hour podcast. Jim, turn down the goddamn volume. <laughs> Oops. Ah, Jim's already fucking up this episode. So, welcome to yet another one. Thank you guys for joining us. For those of you watching on Twitch, thank you. And if you're watching us on YouTube, we appreciate it. Be sure to check out our other episodes. But uh, we're going to get started how we always do. Let's uh, talk a little bit about what we're drinking tonight. So, Jim, I'll let you get started first. All right. Um, I'm kind of clearing out my uh, fridge right now. So, going through some old ones. So, tonight I am drinking the Victory Frisch Weiss. It is a Berliner, a style tart wheat ale. Uh, What's the ABV? Yeah, I kind of fucked up as I was saying that. Uh, Five... 5.2% alcohol by volume, so it's not going to do that much damage to me. And uh, let's see. To achieve, let's see here. A revived classic Berlin style, Fresh Waste uses sour fermentation and wheat malt to achieve balanced, tart freshness. Vibrant flavors emerge as you taste victory. All right, I know I read that like an idiot, but it doesn't help when they have two different fonts and uh, colors for the words going, so it threw me off. Jim's just a little illiterate. It's okay. Me work. Me words well. I am continuing with my Weyerbacher variety pack, and today is the Tiny. Uh, As you can see, it's a Belgian-style Imperial Stout. It's 11.8%. Tried it the other night. Uh, To be honest, I love a lot of things from Weyerbacher. This is good, but it just doesn't seem to hold up the same. Maybe my opinion might change after drinking it tonight. But uh, it's another strong son of a bitch like most of what Weyerbacher makes. And, yeah, I'm just going to keep going through that variety pack till I'm done. Ooh. All right. So what we want to do is first just get started and let everyone know our plan for April. Uh, as you know, if you do watch our website, we generally like to release a video at the end of the month just letting you know what's coming obviously this month we're wrapping up the last of jim's games tomorrow general chaos the review for that game will be coming out and next week we'll be floating something out there but for april um kind of diving into some of our personal lives i'm actually expecting my first child so i'm gonna be be a bit busy uh needless to say with what you know just the whole helping with the kid and doing stuff and not sleeping. It's going to take up a lot of my time. At least I've been warned that many, many times. So unless I'm some weird case where I actually increase the amount of gaming I do and other things I can do, I think I'm going to be a little bit busy. So those of you who don't know, I do the video editing for all of our reviews. Uh, So really, Jim's going to have to take the reins. And if you remember last year, I took a month off for my honeymoon Jim handled some one-off videos, and Jim, you can explain what your goal is uh, for the month of April while I'm away. All right, so basically, we don't talk about pre-Nintendo a lot on this uh, page, website, you know, the whole shebang, so I figured it would be as good a time as any to talk about Atari. So I'm going to make it easy on myself, and I'm going to use the Atari Flashback 2. Now, I know people, you know, purists are going to be bitching about the plug-and-play kind of system, but it's considered basically a 2600 on a chip because it uses real hardware so it'll be the closest i can get without you know trying to rig together an rf into a vcr and do some kind of shitty picture it'll be worth the quality it gives me 40 games to fuck around with so it'll kind of be a beginner's guide you could say to atari for people who don't know any better and i'm going to try and get um let me try and get at least one video out a week it's going to have multiple quick little me talking about the games, you might be on there, depending on if we can swing it. And, yeah, we'll be going through it, and it'll be another way for us to expand our horizons with the page. Absolutely. And, um, actually, I have the original Atari flashback, which only had the 20 games. So I'm going to weigh in on some of those, because, to, to be honest, other than ones that were specific to arcade, I never, as a kid, had an Atari 2600. Um, I started off with the NES So I'm going to just give my quick opinions. You know, it's not going to be like our typical reviews, obviously, because what's the point of really trying to dive into the graphics and sound and everything of an Atari game? You know, we'll just probably give more or less opinions of the overall game itself. So, yeah, if you're a big Atari fan, you're looking forward to it. 
definitely check it out. And if not, it might just be something new and it might interest you in getting one of the flashback systems. So um, on top of that, my goal right now is to keep doing these podcasts. These videos aren't terribly taxing on me to actually put together. But, I mean, it's just, once again, am I going to have the time? We're really going to aim to do that. So, um, other than that, though, you know, that's what the plan is. Uh, we do we did have a big plan for April. Just, obviously, like I said, things, things turned out a little different. Let's but, say it was going to be WrestleMania-related, but uh, real life got in the way. Yeah, exactly. So... Don't worry, though. Once I start getting into a groove and maybe get catch a few hours of sleep here and there, we'll be back to full-fledged posting videos on a weekly basis. Uh, one thing I will say is I do plan on actually updating our legit site a lot more. Um, and as we go through some of our topics on today's podcast, I'll talk a little bit more about some of those plans I have. But uh, if you follow this page on YouTube, you'll see we have a lot more reviews and a lot more other content on our actual site. So... If you are interested, check that out. But other than that, yeah, that's our main update for April. So, Jim, I'm going to let you get started with the first topic since you posted it today. All right. Um, kind of a fun little beer article. And the, with the way we do this podcast, we like to rip off Bill Burr with his overrated, underrated. So this kind of ties in well because it is a beer article from the Thrillist.com. Thrillist.com. Wow, I am off tonight. Wow. And basically, wow. it is a. <laughs> Damn, I haven't even. I'm only a few sips in. This, this ain't good. I'm not even drunk. I'm just dumb. Uh, but yeah. So it's actually an overrated and underrated list where experts, quote unquote, name the most overrated and underrated beard styles. Um, apparently, there's over 100 different ones, and a whole bunch of different brewers from different breweries give their opinions on it. So, for example, uh, you know, Mike Sweeney from St. Louis Hops, overrated Belgian IPAs, underrated lagers. And honestly, looking through this list, I'm surprised at the number of lagers that go into the underrated list, which uh, we're Philly guys, so we love our yingling, and seeing some love for lagers is fine with me. Yeah, uh, as someone who's done way too much extensive research into beer, beer styles, uh, and just everything that's into it, and has dived really deep into that subculture, it's crazy. Uh, the first thing, as soon as I saw this, before I even opened up the list, my mind went right to what's the most overrated. You probably could guess by what we've said in the past. In my eyes, it's IPAs, and actually a fair amount of the judges, well, experts judges whatever the hell they want to call themselves some of them actually put that um and as far as underrated i kind of went with lager because if you look at let's just i'm gonna throw an aggregate out there let's say like 90 percent of craft brewers out there right now they refuse to make lagers it's a different process than ales i don't want to dive into it i have all the all the information on our site once again i actually broke that down Nerd. um but yeah, it's just not a popular type of beer to make, especially for these new craft brewers. So there's a lot of good styles under that subsection of lager. That itself captures at least 40 different styles within it. And there's a lot of really good ones, but for some reason it's just not used that much. So yeah, I would agree with the overall assumption that IPAs, there's a little bit too much out there on... Every single craft beer place has an IPA, and you know it's usually about how hoppy can it taste or how many IBUs can it be. Uh, but the one thing that did piss me off on this list, and I don't know how deep you got into it, Jim. I, hate I read most of it when people say overrate it and they said no style, which is like their way of saying like, <laughs> oh, I because I know. That I hated that too. Goddamn you! Answer when we did some of our overrated, underrated. We were like. I'm right in the middle. I can't say either way. I, I just just take a stand. Say one way or the other. But to say no style is overrated is just like either you're lazy and you don't really want to give an answer, or you, I don't know, or he doesn't know enough about beer styles. Like yes, you can appreciate all styles, but that doesn't mean some things are not overrated. As I mentioned, IPAs. Just the sheer popularity, how they're shoved down your throat. We've met some brewers who like. 
they kind of laugh if you have a style that's like, oh, you add some spice or herbs to it. <laughs> that's not real beer. Like, you know, so, yeah, it is what it yeah. is. Not to mention that basically Budweiser's and shit like that, they're closer to the old English and basically how beer has been made forever until the last, like, 30 years. Like, that's what a beer kind of actually is if you want to go historically. So, like, you know, IBA, IPAs and all the fancy shit, it's, it's a lot of circle jerking, as we've said before. But one thing I really like about this article is the fact that I guess as you want to call it the more commoner kind of beers or what everyone says is underrated. So you have your ales, you have your lagers, you have pilsners. And you say pilsner and people think of Miller, Coors, and Bud and they scoff. But deep down, it's something everyone can drink. And there's probably a lot of beer snobs out there who secretly sit down with, you know, a case of Bud Light, even though I don't really like Bud Light. I'm more a Miller Light fan, of course. And You're a Keystone, Keystone Light guy. Let's, or let's, Keystone, let, maybe. Yeah, that those are too fancy for you, Jim. Let's put it that way. Maybe, maybe the leftovers of a case of, uh, you know, of a whole process of making cores and what they sweep up off the ground, they put in a can. I might enjoy that. No, but but, but honestly, I really, yeah, Jim, you're definitely right. I mean, it's people shit on the more, more common beers, and we've said this before. I honestly believe with this with beer right now, it's. It's been at an amazing peak, and I and I love how popular it's getting. But I see a bubble coming with so many breweries popping up in the U.S. in the past couple years, um, and everyone wants to put their mark. But like you're finding more and more, it's like, oh, you know, like friggin' licorice IPA or or you know, this yeah. type crazy IPA. They're just trying crazy amounts of shit, and the mark is just becoming so overwhelmed with. You have almost too much variety, so they need to start weeding some of that out, um, especially the ones that are distributed like throughout the nation, the few that are. But, uh, yeah, no, it, it is refreshing, though. I, I was actually happy to see they put down more IPAs as overrated than I would have expected from a list like this. So good for them. I do of, like that. A lot of IPAs, a lot of sours actually were in the overrated part, and I like me a sour, but hey, to each their own. Yeah, some people swear by them. Um, I like them, but I don't think they're overrated. But I guess it really always also comes down to who are you hanging around and who who are you hearing this shit from the most. Like, if you're in an area where sours are a thing, then, yeah, I'm sure that could get a little bit annoying, and it comes off as overrated. Right, true. And, I mean, some of them were talking about how, again, sours are the kind of beer that has their own kind of brewing style because of the bacterias. Yep. So... Maybe they just don't feel like dealing with it. I don't know. But, yeah, it's a fun little list. Like always, we'll have the link in the description below. And if you have any interest, I'd say remotely in craft beer, I'd say check this one out. You'll get a good laugh out of it at least. Oh, absolutely. And that's kind of a good segue uh, from our buddy Arboretum, LOL. She helped comment a lot for us last week. Uh, actually, sent us a She question. was a star last week. Uh, which region produces the best craft beers? And they and said, you know, it could be broken down by beer type as well. Uh, she says Michigan has great ones and Toronto has some good stouts. So one thing I want to write, and this kind of, once again, ties right in with what we just talked about from that overrated list. Um, I'm going to put down below in the links uh, something that outlines what I just mentioned about how many new craft breweries have popped up in the past couple of years what each state produces and the numbers are astounding but uh if you go by that you can see the most popular and per capita and the amount that they produce vermont and oregon are kind of the two highest craft beer producing states per capita now being from pa we actually are the third in the country for producing the most amount of craft beers because we tend to have yeah. some of the larger craft beer breweries um but there's a whole bunch of people on this list. But when I think craft beer, kind of my mind goes, you know, of course, the, the part of me goes to PA because I for, you forget how many, like this Weyerbacher I'm drinking, it's very popular, but you forget that's craft beer. Um, PA is definitely really good for its craft beer and for a variety of styles. Um, Oregon is freaking huge. 
Seattle, that whole West Coast, California, of course. I mean, that state is so freaking large, and they have so many good breweries out there. But a lot of the, you know, like Colorado and Wisconsin, they, what I've noticed when I have been able to get my hands on some craft beers, they, um, beer for beer, have some of the best quality. And to her point, Michigan, obviously, there's a lot of great beers coming out of there as well. So it's it's very interesting to see where what people consider some of the best beers to come from kind of lines up with the beer per capita and most beer distributed in the U.S. that they consider craft. Um, I think the other thing you'll notice, though, is those stats can be a little skewed because a state like Vermont is the size of, you know, it's, it's teeny. So even if they have... 100 breweries their per capita you know brewery per capita is going to be out of this world but i mean honestly you really can't break down the beer per style for state because like one brewery like weyerbacher might have some of the most amazing quads you'll ever have but they'll have the best russian imperial as well so you're gonna get a lot of mixture and most places that are good tend to be very diverse in what they offer you um that's not to say a place like tired hands which is a little bit newer to philly but it's pretty much the hottest brewery right now they don't distribute they do send out kegs to other places but they specialize in what's called specialty ipas and it's something we just talked about but um for example they make these things called sunday ipas and it sounds like ooh, that's kind of weird but apparently they are friggin delicious and they just make a lot of specialty IPAs. That is what they do the best. So, um, yeah. I, I know it's a tough way to answer your question, but I'm going to say if you want to try a good variety and you will notice differences, go with Oregon, PA, and well, I'm just going to throw out Wisconsin for now as the three I would suggest the most. All right, uh, Bri, real quick, just make sure your computer is muted because I thought I heard it coming through my headset. Um, or I heard myself. But basically, I haven't done as much traveling or trying as much random beers from around the country as Brian has. So I'm definitely not the best expert to do here. But my buddy Jerry, actually, who would say sour beers is overrated, uh, he lived in Colorado for a couple years for work. And he went to breweries all the time out there. And he came back and he, you know, looks around and gets shipped to him sometimes, some ones from the Denver area. And I agree, they're actually really good. They're really big, or maybe it's just his taste, but they're really big on triples out there and stouts and porters. And while I'm not the biggest stout or porter guy in the world, I can appreciate a good one. And the ones I've had have been good, and they've been high alcohol, but they go down smooth, and they will fuck your day up. So to go along with what Brian says, uh, yeah, the Denver, Colorado area, that whole state, definitely try some from there. And the ones we tried in Nashville were pretty good. I don't know if I'd say anything was really a standout standout, but if you're going beer hopping and you're in the area, definitely check out a bunch of the microbrews down there. They have tours set up that you can hit a bunch in a day, and yeah, it's not a bad deal. Yeah, no, definitely. But it's a good question. Um, biggest thing I can suggest is if you are lucky enough to have bottle shops that do import from other states, really just reach out and start trying. And if you find one or two breweries that you like, try to get your hands on as much as you can. But, um, you know, you'll find a lot of places, no matter where they are in the country, they're going to be very similar. But there are some standouts per state. So keep drinking and drinking. Oh, yep. Yeah. Alrighty, so the next one, uh, Jim put this in here. It's interesting. Uh, I'll let Jim go. I guess, well, I guess I'll throw my two cents in because I don't have a ton to say. But uh, GameStop is closing approximately 225 stores, which is 2 to 3% worldwide. And Jim, I, uh, if you can, send me the link for that because. I'm very curious about that. Um, you can you can just Google it real quick because it's been on a ton of sites. But, um, yeah, basically they have, I think, worldwide total about 7,500 stores. And 2 to 3% is apparently the 225 to 250 range. Hmm. And apparently they are blaming low fourth quarter sales overall. <laughs> and they're kind of blaming the games for not selling as well. Or the quality of the games that came out. Because, of course, yeah. they are. 
Uh, I mean, of course, they're going to figure out whatever they can. Uh, first things first, GameStop, no matter what your opinion of it is, it's uh, for me and Jim personally, I only honestly go GameStop if I absolutely know there's a new game on sale that we're going to get like first day release or when they have the bargain bin and shit is dirt cheap and I really want to pick up a few random games that I wouldn't have. Um, obviously, they live and die by their used game sales, and that's their market. And I know some people have a real hatred for GameStop. Um, for us, though, or at least for me, I don't have a ton of other options. For like, you could do Best Buy, Amazon, you you know, all those ways. But as far as a store to pick up games around us, there's not much. And you know, we have a few kind of those you know niche retro game stores around us which i always kind of feel like they're your basic ebay prices or most times actually more and generally aren't worth it for me so if i need a place to buy a physical copy of my hard game i would go to a GameStop. now with that being said them releasing people i think it's just something we've talked about multiple times before with the digital market increasing more and more people are like well, why am I going to get a physical copy of a game I have to go home, download to my console, when I could just download and kind of forgo having to deal with going in a store and dealing with someone? Um, that's just you know one of my predictions. I think it's going to keep increasing in the amount of sale, hard copy sales, which will in turn probably increase the amount of used copy sales. Not you know moving forward. You look at Xbox Gold or PS whatever they have. And when they get put games on sale, that's when people are probably purchasing those games the most. So um, I think it's a trend that's probably going to do nothing but go up for them. But I don't necessarily want to see them completely go out of business. I would like to have a store that I could always go to and just pick up a game because I don't want to go to a Best Buy or like, you know, one of the bigger chain stores. I kind of like just having a game only store. But that's my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, there's a ton of reasons that you could say for them losing sales. All the bad PR lately with the Circle of Life program and all that other shit. Uh, just in general, brick-and-mortar stores going away because, hell, Sears is closing up, which is kind of insane to think about. So, yeah, it's all those reasons and more. Personally, not that I'm you know a huge GameStop defender because their policies are awful, but... Honestly, when I had the time to just go through a store and walk around and just pick out a random game, GameStop was great for that because I could go to the bin, pick, take a chance on a game for five bucks and see if I got my money's worth. And that's actually how I found a ton of games that I wound up liking. And honestly, for you collectors out there, kind of like me, uh, GameStops are fantastic for just loading up on previous gen games because they're basically liquidating them and you can get a shitload of games for a dollar each. The prices are better than thrift stores, better than Goodwills. If you want to go bone up on your PS3 and 360 collections, now's kind of the time to do it. And, yeah, I mean, I'm never going to sit here and say that it's a perfect franchise because it isn't, but a party B will miss it if it eventually goes away. Now, honestly, in our area, we have a GameStop every, like, mile, so I don't think it's going to affect us too much. But outside of that, I can I can see it being a problem for some. Yeah. And it's slightly ironic. But that kind of... <laughs> what are you going to say? On, Jim. I think we're both about to say the same thing. All right. So, leading off that, our buddy Nintendo Collection on Twitter asks us basically what our opinion is on digital games and digital-only gaming. I'll yes. let you go first. So we, we've, we've definitely talked about this, but I always like rebringing it up. Um, between Jim and I, he's more of the hardcore needs a physical copy collector and usually likes things a little more complete. I would consider myself the bigger, I just purely like to play games. So when it comes to the topics of digital only, emulated games, whatever way I need to get my hand on a game to just play and experience, that's really all I need. I do enjoy and I do collect certain specific games, like horror games I'll always try and get my physical copies of. Or even if I'm at a Goodwill or like Jim mentioned, if I'm in GameStop and I find something cheap enough, I'll probably buy it. But, um... 
I don't have a major problem with it because I'm not that collector type. I think it is probably more and more obvious for anyone that collects any type of physical media period. You can probably see that trend going that way anyway. Um, and I just... I'm curious what type of uproar fans will have because at the end of the day, a true fan of video games, you just want to play. You you should just worry about like being able to play the game. Um, and I don't know like how it's actually going to affect sales if at all because I feel like, you know, not being a part of the younger generation, they probably do most of their gaming digitally right now anyway. You know, I feel like Gemini's generation. And maybe one or two after that will be the last ones that really are into that hardcore collecting as much as we are. Um, not to say there won't be people collecting, but I think it's just a, a matter of ease and instant access. And our society in general is all about that for pretty much everything we do. So I don't see why it would be different for gaming. Um, the one thing I'd be worried about is systems really need to start coming out. Of course, you could make the argument before I go on. Everything should just go to computer and, you know, just do your gaming there. But <clears throat> for Xbox, PS, whatever hard consoles there are, I just hope they're smart enough to give large enough memories so you can handle a digital-only library. Because, I mean, as we found out with the Xbox One and PS4, the fact that you have to download everything already, I mean, you're constantly, well, I'm just going to download this game and then delete it so I can use it later. Because that's the only way you're going to be able to hold all the shit you want and need. So, um, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, but, I mean, it's something that I almost feel like is going to be inevitable to a point. Yeah, um, you basically took the rational approach to it. So, <laughs> I completely agree that, yeah, it will. it's the way of the future. It's going to go the way of what has already happened in music and movies. Like, I haven't bought an album or a movie in fucking years. And I don't plan on doing it anytime soon. But when it comes to games, which is the topic, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this before. I probably have, but I can be a spiteful prick, uh, even against my own good. So if I have a problem with something, I will go out of my way to not do that or to say fuck it. So... To give you a little backstory, um, a couple years back, Konami finally released the Simpsons arcade game to <laughs> Xbox Live and PS3. Oh, you know where this is going. <laughs> and I spent—I only spent ten goddamn bucks on it. Got it as soon as it came out. Was like, oh boy, one of my favorite games. Playing it, playing it, playing it, and shit. For my buddy's birthday one year, I actually gave him a ten-dollar Xbox Live card so he could go download it. So, and we played it together a bunch, and. After about a year, the license ran up, and the game went away. And not just from the store, but it got ripped off my fucking hard drive. So ever since then, and that was probably about four or five years ago now at this point, we are recording this on the 30th of March in 2017, I refuse to purchase digital-only games. I, I'll download, I'll, I'll gladly download a game off Xbox Live when it's free, you know, Games with Gold, or, you know, PlayStation's PlayStation Now bullshit, you know, the streaming crap. Uh, if it's free, fine, whatever. I'll put it on my hard drive. I'll put it in my library to go back to. But straight up buying something completely digital? Fuck that. Too many unknowns. Too many one day, you know, like I said, a license can go away and boom, you're out your money. And you have nothing to show for it. And that's not to say that with these current generations, that won't happen anyway, even with physical media. Because... Let's face it, most of the game is downloaded off of online anyway, and what's on a disc is just some compressed files. So it's already going that way no matter what, but I still much prefer to have that physical copy for future playing's sake. And yes, it does look good on a shelf too. Yeah, now, and Jim bring, brings up one really good point, that that should be a legit fear for any fan, regardless of if you've been in Jim's situation before or not. You know, what if in the future something does go down and you lose all your digital games? Uh, I guess, is it possible I mean, for shit. that to happen or for a license to go away? Absolutely. But, I mean, I think it's kind of like the same idea of 
I keep all of my digital photos on my external hard drive. If that thing crashes, I'm fucked. If, you know, we keep most of our shit digitally anyway now. So it's kind of like that doomsday scenario for anything. It can happen. It would suck if it happened. Um, since a lot of people have had the experience with games, we know it's something that's maybe a little more likely to happen. Uh, but I also would say, you know, and I'm only speaking of new generation games, uh, most games nowadays are also going to be probably, you need some form of online to play in the begin with. And I know that's another way people are going that they don't like. And once again, that's something me and Jim have talked about. I fully understand it. But even if you have your physical copy of the game, you might not be able to do much unless it is a, you know, a single-player campaign or, or this or that. So, yeah. And let's think of it this way. Remember the outrage that happened last generation? Or shit, was it this one? I forget. Um, a couple years back when PT got pulled off of consoles and how people tried to scalp to sell consoles with it, that was a free demo. Oh, that yeah. wasn't even a full game. So can you imagine if full libraries and companies just start getting pulled left and right? It would no, be a shit show. Yeah, no, it's an absolute legit fear, and I think there would need to be some major safeguards to ensure that type of shit doesn't happen. Uh, I'm just not the person or smart enough to know what those safeguards would or should be. Uh, I just think, yeah, the hope for keeping a physical copy, it's... It will probably, I mean, I think some companies will just always do it. But don't be surprised if way down the line, it's just, it goes away. Interesting topic, though. Thank you, yep. Nintendo Collector. Or a collect Nintendo, Nintendo collect, Collection. As you wrote, yeah. All right. So, sticking with one of our old kind of topics we go to, the which is better. Yeah. And this was kind of, I, I would like to think it was brought up by something we talked about uh, about two weeks ago for overrated, underrated. But we're talking wrestling games, and once again, Jim and I had plans for April to do a lot of wrestling games, and two of them are right here. Which is better, SmackDown 2 versus No Mercy? And uh, once again, Jim and I, well, I'll speak for me, and I'll just assume with Jim, we nah. definitely grew up loving wrestling, and... To us, the Attitude Era will always be the best. Jim is still a little bit more active in watching wrestling, but whether he wants to admit it or not, the quality has gone down significantly. So this is the period of probably the you know the best if you are a wrestling fan, the best that you could get. So you had two drastically different games here: um, SmackDown, the series you that now morphed into WWE 2K Live kind of always stayed with that engine. That was the first time where they really started streamlining and making those yearly releases. Um, and I'll try to potentially... Uh, actually, it won't work. But I think if you if you don't know, I'll put some videos of SmackDown 2 in the links below so you can go see. And No Mercy, I think, is probably, by most people, known as the best wrestling game on the N64. And in some people's opinion, best wrestling game ever. It kind of had that same style of... WCW versus NWO World Tour, which would go on to, you know, WCW versus NWO uh, Revenge, and then WrestleMania 2000, yada, yada, yada. So it's in that style. Um, too drastically different in style. No Mercy, definitely focused on, I, I'd say, the simplified arcade style of wrestling, whereas SmackDown was much more about the customization, trying to be realistic. Of course, looking at those graphics today, they don't hold up quite as well, and like having you know, no. videos and music. So it, it, it was they just went for two completely different things. One was being a simulation. One was arcade-friendly. Um, with all that being said, you can argue back and forth about the semantics of you know, which one holds up better today or this or that. But for me personally... Uh, I would have to say I prefer WC or God damn it, WCW, WWE No No Mercy. Uh, that game, when Jim and I have gone back and played it, it, it just it because it holds up better. Um, I do prefer it. 
I'd say I spent almost the same amount of time on both games because I was a huge, obvious PS guy and PlayStation 2 guy. So I'm not going to say when I was a kid I had more time with one or the other because I put them in both. But when I look back and which one am I going to play today, it's definitely going to be No Mercy. Um, And that's not, once again, we could evaluate at a different time which game is technically better. But yeah, definitely No Mercy is kind of a... For me, this is was a very easy one. I don't think there's much arguments for SmackDown 2, but I think I know where Jim's going to go with his answer. Yeah, I'm no mercy as well. <laughs> yeah. um, even if you wanted to extrapolate it out to the Aki engine, which no mercy runs on, or the SmackDown engine, which you like better, I ju- they're just better overall games to me. I was actually never really crazy about the SmackDown games. They always move too fast and too goofy for me, so... I'm surprised I made it that long. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's just, obviously, nostalgia is a big factor. And don't get me wrong, like, seeing the full motion video intros for wrestlers in SmackDown was awesome when I was a kid. And the graphics were better, but overall, I just think the gameplay and the options you had were better with No Mercy. Now, SmackDown, eventually, you know, it grew on its engine and shit like that because it's still around. But I still just preferred the old style. Yeah, and I think most fans in general, like, they like uh, their wrestling games to be a little more simplistic. It's not to say all, but, I mean, simulation in wrestling games is cool, but, yeah, if you want to talk about, especially if you're playing with your buddies, eh, that simplistic style is just, it's easy. Anyone can pick it up and go to it, and it's, yeah, it is what it is. So, um, yeah, I would love if anyone in the comments below really prefer smackdown 2 over i would i would love to hear reasonings behind it um so yeah let us know what you think below but i think this is probably going to be one of the more obvious open and shut cases oh yeah yeah i think it'll probably lean heavily the one way or who knows maybe we'll get some younger people in here for once and they'll go for smackdown you never know yeah all right so uh this one's yours so you can do this one Going again with our overrated, underrated. Um, you know, Jim brought up the overrated, underrated, but that was actually from the that thrill list. But I came up with one for us to talk about. And it's generic, but I want to point to specific examples. Uh, Point-and-click adventure games. Uh, some people absolutely love them. Some people probably have very little experience with them. And I think the mass, vast majority of people kind of, they are what they are. So for me, I want to talk about things like, you know, Monkey Island, Grim Fandango, games of that nature that, you know, do you think they're overrated or underrated? Uh, I'll probably go first since I'm sure I probably have a little more experience with this. Um, Yep. I personally feel they are underrated because in the world of excitement and what game most games stand for. Like, I'm a person who I've said multiple times on a site, I don't like puzzle games. I don't get fun out of them. Uh, I could totally see people having the same exact opinion of point-and-click adventures because you're literally looking some of the t- most of the time at a static image. Your, your character might move side to side. Then there's a whole lot of text to go through. There might be some semi-quasi-action quasi scenes, and we've mentioned before the new realm of point-and-click is really telltale games to a degree. Um, but I think they're underrated because what I've noticed with the point-and-click games I have spent the time to play, like Monkey Island, like Grim Fandango, the stories are really well done. There's usually a lot of really good humor that still holds up really well today. And... You know, the artwork, even if it is static, there's usually a lot of good detail put into it. So it's one of those things, I feel like it's a, uh, it's an ignored genre because, you know, it's not offering you the ability to shoot a million people. But it's one that I feel like if you are someone who is in the story, if you're someone who's into good humor, you know, find some of the better titles, play it, and then you might enjoy future games now i've mentioned more times than i care to that i am obviously a big horror fan so i played uh one of the point and click adventures sanitarium 
which is a fucked up game. And there is some creepy shit going on. The music, uh, the the monsters they draw, and just the you know the text and the monologues, dialogues that you have with people. It really still set a really creepy mood. And once again, playing it today, I forget when that came out, like early 90s, it still holds up in its creep factor. So um, if you are a horror fan, there's a, real, a lot of really good titles for that. But even if, once again, you're a more humorous fan, there's plenty of them out there for you. So I think it's underrated because I just don't think they're given their due just because of what they are. Yeah, um, I'm going to go with underrated as well solely because, let's face it, for a good 10 years there, the genre kind of fell off the face of the earth. Um, Late 80s, early 90s, man, that was the heyday for him. So, like you said, you had games like Grim Fandango, which actually came out a little later, but you had the King's Quest series, and you had, or no, that was actually, that was in point and click. But you had games like fucking, you had Myst. Think about Myst in that whole series. Or... Uh, I know there's a whole bunch of different or games that are like lightly like some games where you can still move around, but there's a lot of point and click mainly as the main mechanic, like Phantasmagoria or shit like that. So you have all these fucking games, um, Monkey Island and Arthur's Teacher Trouble, which I might have played as a kid a lot. But yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's it was such a kind of ubiquitous kind of genre that you could f- plop anything into there. And like you said, the artwork nine times out of ten is f- fantastic hand-drawn shit because you're not killing yourself on movement. You're just building a world around it. So in terms of world building, in terms of story most of the time, and if you like challenges, a lot of these games are unforgiving. Like you make a mistake and that can ruin your entire playthrough. Or there could be thousands upon thousands of ways to die. So, Or a game like Myst, which just plops you down and says, all right, figure it out. Like, okay. So, yeah, I mean, these it's kind of a timepiece of something gone by. And it's cool that Telltale brought them back. Uh, you don't really see too many other people trying to Stop do it. Stop goddamn burping. Now nah, I'm hiccuping now. But, uh. Yeah, I mean, I guess just on technicality, I have to go with underrated, even though if they're not really my favorite kind of genre. Okay, yeah, and, and the last point I'll make is Jim's right. You, those games are unrelentingly unforgiving. They don't give you, a lot of them tend not to give you many hints, and if you're lost, you're lost, unless you want to look up how to do it. So, yeah, they can be a little brutal in that aspect. Um, okay. So the next topic, this is one that's very interesting. And once again, I want to look into it and confirm. But Call of Duty is apparently going back to World War II. Uh, This is something I didn't hear before. I know they've toyed around with it. I know they've toyed with going to World War, you know, well, now they're not going to do World War I. But I've heard crazy things like even like Civil War or or just, just crazy ideas. Um, but them going back to World War II, I don't mind that at all because still to this day, one of my favorites for sure is World at War. I love that game. I love I love World War II weapons. I love how it handles, and I think uh, it, it, it wouldn't be a bad idea to take it back to those roots. I mean, Call of Duty, if you remember, was really always a World War II video game, and... Um, it was, what, what was it called? Medal of Honor Killer, I think it was deemed. Um, yeah, Medal of Honor came first. Yeah, so I loved a lot of those early Call of Duty games because they are just, you know, say what you want about where they're at now, but they knew how to do campaigns, they knew how to make games goddamn hard, and they were just fun. So I wouldn't mind seeing them go back to it. I just hope, you know, they're not just doing it because they're running out of ideas. I mean... I'm so kind of over the fact of every new Call of Duty, you got the fucking jetpack and you're jumping around, and I would like a little more boots on the ground experience. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see if this comes true. But I really want to see them dig into other wars and do Civil War, do go World War One, even though Battlefield already did. Just do something a little different, or go back to Vietnam like Black Ops, like. 
whatever you gotta do. But I, I'd be interested in seeing that. War of eighteen twelve. Sure, bastard. Spanish American War. Let's do all of them. Why not? But um, yeah. So um, I've been saying for a while. I like the the games are still well made, but I fucking hate the jetpacks. I just can't stand it. It leads to too much bullshit half the time, and I've been dying for like a real Call of Duty to go back to the old style. Even though we got that with Modern Warfare Remaster, and I'm not crazy about the remaster, but I think that's more a thing on the remaster quality itself than the overall genre and gameplay style. But yeah, I've been dying for it to go back. And World War II, sure, bring it on. And it's actually kind of funny because uh, I forget the name of the guy on Twitter now, but I was going back and forth with him because... He's a guy who's like, I don't understand why everyone's calling for it to go back to this style. And, you know, I mentioned the jetpacks, and he's like, well, I mean, Call of Duty's just a war game, so it can be in the future. Which, alright, that's a fine point. But the problem is, is that it's trying to copy Halo and Titanfall too much. And mechanically, I don't think the new implements are as good as either of those games. So just go back to what you're good at. Go back to what people fell in love with. And... Yeah, it's definitely a, a play to get people back because the user base has just been falling game after game after game after game. So maybe it's a desperate plea. Who knows? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they follow through with it. Um, but yeah, let us know what you think below on that topic. But Jim, you were because you know to... people love the Call of Duty topics. Oh yeah, you're gonna have to dig into this next one since I know you just sent me a text. I read it real quick, but. Uh... Yeah, All right, so this is just that. a real short one. Yeah, this is just a real short one, and BioWare actually sent a tweet out, uh, a message to everyone about the controversies around Mass Effect Andromeda, because if you don't know, it's come out to a very shaky release with a lot of criticism for a whole bunch of different shit. Just a, a drop-off in quality that's like kind of crazy. So, the message reads as this. To our players, it's been a week since we officially launched Mass Effect Andromeda Worldwide, and we couldn't be more excited that our fans are finally experiencing everything we've worked so hard to create. We've received quite a bit of feedback, some of it positive and some of it critical. That feedback is an important part of our online support of the game, and we can't wait to share more of our media plans with you on Tuesday, April 4th. In the meantime, keep your feedback coming. Our team is listening, working around the clock to gather information and plan out solutions to improve and build on Mass Effect Andromeda. Thank you for your continued support and joining us on his journey. Hmm. So basically what I read from that is, we fucked up, we're trying to fix it, please tell us everything you found that's wrong. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I mean, and based on our topics last week, I think it's fair to say we pointed out what seems to be some of the biggest complaints with the game. Uh, having not played it, I don't know if there's other major technical issues. Regardless, um, on one hand, I read it like you do, but I can also read it like, yeah, it's just you know a developer legitimately wanting feedback from fans. Now, what I'd be happier with is if they actually follow up with all the issues like if they're a they are able to fix it all that would be i think much cooler and it's not just you know a smoke show of hey we we care about you guys and thank you for playing our game and, and we know we you know i want to see how are they going to go about fixing it so um kind of cool but let's see what their where their actions lie yep not too much really to say about that but it's just cool that it it's a developer for once saying, we're listening, we're going to fix it. Yeah. Well, let's hope they do. And not <laughs> waiting. And, yeah, hopefully. And not waiting, like, you know, a year and a half to, like, what Turtle Rock did with Evolve, and it was too late at that point. So. Yeah. Okay. We can move on and keep in kind of with uh, first-person shooter-type games. Our friend Arboretum once again asks another question with, our favorite first-person shooters ever, and which do we think is the best mechanically for, say, team play versus solo play kind of deal? Holy shit. Okay. I just <laughs> read this right before you read, and I'm like, fuck. Uh, favorite Should I go FPS? first? Yeah, if you want to. All right. I think when it comes down to it, my favorite of all time might be the original Unreal Tournament because that's the first-person shooter I put the most time into. I fucking 
<laughs> I was actually in the computer club, shocker, in high school. And the point of it was supposed to be to build the high school's website, but all we did was hang out after school and play Unreal Tournament in the computer lab. And I had fucking so much fun doing that. Um, I'd say it's probably better as a you know single player just running around trying to kill each other experience. But I think that's probably my top FPS ever. And one that I think is really good for the team aspect, you got to go with the classic with Counter-Strike. Um, whether it's the objective-based stuff or even just a basic team deathmatch kind of way. And I know it had its own way. I forget what it was called. I played it. I played that a lot too, but I didn't grow up with a good computer, so I didn't get to play it enough on my own. But, yeah, I'm keeping it classic, and I'm going Unreal Tournament and Counter-Strike. Hmm. Uh, since I had very little time to actually think about this, I mean, if I'm going off the top of my head, uh, Jim clearly tends to have, and it's everyone can have their own opinion, but it, you can tell when a lot of times when we do these favorites, he's very based in nostalgia of things he did as a child. When I think of my favorite games, I think of what can I play right now? What's still giving me the most replayability? Um, if I'm going favorite FPS ever, I kind of have to break it down for me personally to solo versus multiplayer um fuck man that's hard uh solo i still get a crazy amount of enjoyment out of duke nukem 3d and it's one that i've downloaded recently playing it thinking ah this game isn't gonna hold up i still get fun out of it and if and i'm talking strictly solo here um with no elements i know it had multiplayer I, I always enjoyed that one because it's just a goofy kind of playthrough game. But, you know, if I'm thinking more classically new and what's available to me, I kind of have to go with one of the Call of Duties, you know, whether it's Black Ops 2, whether it's World of War, between Zombies mode, that campaign, which I, those campaigns, both of them, honestly, I really liked, and the multiplayer aspect. Love that game. But, uh,. The best for team play, and I'll always stand by this, is definitely Left 4 Dead 2. Uh, in the terms of oh, first, hmm. in the terms of first-person shooter, I can't think of another first-person shooter. I've had more fun with my friends playing online. That's a good locally. one. Uh, just the team dynamics when you're, especially if you, it doesn't matter which mode you play, but if you're playing against other people or just the computer. The level of teamwork you need in that game, that was one of the first games where it's like, we got used to all these other games, Halo, Call of Duty, uh, where you could just be a superstar, run off by yourself, and, ah, I don't really need my team. And that game fucking punished you. As soon as you tried that, a liquor or a friggin' hunter jumped on you, and it was game over for you, and you were the asshole of your team. So it forced a, te you know, a team cooperation that I hadn't seen before, Add in the horror elements and just the sheer amount of fun and you know strategy you had to implement, especially when you were playing as zombies. I, I I don't think any game to that to this day that I've played has beaten that in my opinion. So, without a doubt, that is the best multiplayer first-person shooter in my opinion. Now that's actually a really good pick, and I totally forgot about that. <laughs> so yeah, so there's that one. Um, but no, it was a good question. Sorry I'm a little more obscure on my all-time favorite. I just, I, if I had more time to think about it, I'd probably come up with something better. But yeah, multiplayer for sure. Left for Dead 2, I should say. <laughs> there you uh, go. The next, uh, the next one is a comment. Lightning round time. Yep. So the first question, well, a bunch of these questions. The first one is from Space Pants. Who wins, taco or cheeseburger? Uh, fuck. Che cheeseburger. Um, you're going cheeseburger? Yep. Okay. I will go taco. Uh, just because... Just because you can do more with it, right? It, because I can have a steak taco, chicken, shrimp, fish. It, I can have a million different tacos, whereas cheeseburger, you can do a lot. And a good bison burger with some jalapenos and bacon might be delicious. Oh. But I'm also at a point where like, I just feel like you can put more types and more varieties on a taco so yeah i'll go taco all right next up when is peanut butter jelly time the correct uh, answer is always damn it 
Sure. <laughs> that, that's my answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this one came from me. Oh, sure. Fuck. This one's yours. This is your next one. Yeah, so uh, this was on one of our previous podcasts. Somebody asked, uh, he's been getting into the Far Cry series lately. Do I have any thoughts or experience with the games? Or do we think this comes from um, Trampoline Kingdom? And yes, I have played Far Cry 3 and Primal. I absolutely love the Far Cry series. That is a series I really, in the future, I know I'm going to force me and Jim to do a whole month of all the games because it is just that fun. It's a game with a lot of humor, attitude, crazy amount of destruction, some really cool weapons. Uh, I'd say if you're diving into the Far Cry series, 3 was a great introduction to me, and that game has some of the craziest missions. One, I know our buddy mentions it a lot. But this crazy mission where you have to go burn a pot field with a flamethrower and these drug dealers are so pissed off at it's hilarious. So, um, just a great series and Primal was a nice, you know, twist for that series because before it was always like high tech, higher tech military modern weapons and then you go into like fucking, you know, Neanderthal era and you're fucking fighting mammoths with spears. So, very cool series. I think it's a great one to get into if you're you, you, you know, you want to try something a little different. Yeah, and I've only played a little bit. I've played a couple hours of Primal, and I was having fun with it. Um, I can guarantee I'll probably not like the older Far Cries because I think they're more uh, just like GTA clones, which kind of bore me. But the later ones, when they get goofier, I think I'd have fun with those games. Okay. All right, now that question was a little too serious, so let's reel it back a little bit. Oh, because the next one comes again from Space Pants. And what happens when robots replace human relationships? So I'm going to take this completely as sex robots. and what Obviously. Is, as what Japan is doing right now. Um, ooh, do I give a PC answer here or do I give a, a non-PC? Um, we got to be true to ourselves, Bri. Okay, so ladies, you might be in trouble. If a guy, <laughs> if 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 guys are, uh, and hey guys, if you're, you know, if you're gay and you're a guy, you might want to put yourself out there a little more because guys in general, I think this will appeal mostly to guys. Let me say that these crazy sex robots and the shit that I've read about in Japan is fucking disturbing. Um, but yeah, they're gonna kind of be like. Uh, a lot more guys are becoming more and more antisocial. This current generation is having less less sex than the previous generation, which is disturbing as all hell. Um, so, yeah, I think that's going to be a big problem for future relationships because I think you're going to have a lot of lazy fucks who are like, well, I'm not going to spend my money trying to go on a date or impress someone. I have my robot. I think it's fucking creepy, but I think it's almost inevitable. And, yeah, that's disturbing. Jim so, Bri, these guys. <laughs> Good thing I'm married. Good thing I tricked someone. But, uh, yeah, I'd probably be definitely into sex. I'd be playing a lot more video games if I had a sex robot. I'd be saying that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think maybe almost a Matrix-type scenario will happen where robots take over and they only keep the best and the brightest of our people and make us I think you're getting fucking ridiculous. To keep us around. Now. I think you're getting ridiculous. Bri, Bri, hear me out. Hear me out. No. Nope. <laughs> no, now I will not hear you out. Now you're being silly. <laughs> All right, maybe. But, yeah, um, uh, there's going to be a place for sex robots. Don't you worry about that. Yes. And last but not least, the walk-off from our buddy <laughs> Hibiki TMD. Why does Brian hate the Wii U and Switch so much? <laughs> okay, so it's not that I hate the Wii U and Switch. It's last episode... I hate that Jim wasted his money on a Wii U when we've talked multiple times about him getting his goddamn PS4 so we can play games together on that and fucking stream on that and play all those good games, but he felt the need to go out and waste finally to go get a new thing and he gets a goddamn Wii U. I would have been much more impressed had he got the Switch. Um, I think my biggest problem is uh, I make the mistake of watching too many people who are vehemently defending Wii U and Switch and how amazing it is. And it's Nintendo. I, yeah, and, and it's Nintendo. And for me personally, 
they make great shit. There's no denying that. And their games are, are fun, but they're just not my cup of tea right now at this point in my life. I don't have either system, so I can't sit there and point out, like, there's a problem with this game or that. I think it's just their fan base. Like, a lot of people have problems with most people's fan bases. And uh, generally, I know people who are stark defenders of the Wii U and Switch will be the same people who like call bullshit on other people who like Call of Duty or sports games or more po- popular titles. And it's just like, yeah, I think that's driven a rift in me. And Jim getting the Wii U is like, you son of a bitch. So, Tee-hee. yeah. That, that's really yeah. it, but no, I, I pers like I, I don't doubt that there's plenty of great games on both. And the Switch, I would be more inclined to get a Switch when it's cheaper. But I just have zero interest in getting one anytime soon. So, yeah. And I'm in the same boat with the Switch. So, all right, that wraps up this episode of the Power Hour. So, Jim, your beer. All right. Um. Yeah, it's. Good. It's kind of just a base. Bear got tasty and mouth got like it. No, nah, I mean, it's fine. It's a nice. You get mostly the sour beer kind of flavor out of it. And I like sours, so that's perfectly fine with me. It's right up my alley. Not a game breaking or game changing kind of beer, but if you're in the mood for a good, you know, basically at this point, a macro brewed sour beer, this is. This is a good way to go. You can do a lot worse than this. Hmm. Yeah, and the teeny, it's strong. Uh, that coffee and chocolate flavor really comes through, but it is boozy. As you see, I haven't finished this yet. It just it sits super heavy, and I should not have eaten right before we did this podcast. So I did beer, the mistake as well. Yeah, so bad beer to pair with that right now, but it is a good beer. Uh, once again, it's just Weyerbacher has a lot better, in my opinion. Fair enough. So as always, and guys. I have to poop, so we got to wrap this up. God damn it, Jim. <laughs> so as always, guys, thank you for all your questions. Keep them rolling in. We love answering them, no matter how ridiculous they are. And, Definitely. Uh, the more ridiculous, the better. Absolutely. So till next time, guys, cheers. Cheers. <laughs>